Recording, recording, recording. Recording, recording, recording. I don't know. <laughs> so, wait. Who's supposed? To, who's doing the intro? You or me? It feels like a you thing. Oh, no. <laughs> Man, you got me on the spot. And I somehow get the feeling that you're going to leave this entire bit in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Construct Additional Pylons. My name is Lee, and this is Gabriel. Hello. Uh, where we talk about the nerdy things that interest us, and other stuff as well. We're, we're working on a general theme. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find it at some point. Yeah. Also, uh, since we are just starting out, we'd both like to apologize for any audio issues you experience. We both have somewhat tolerable mics and recording spaces. Um, but just in case, sorry, we're learning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, anywho, today, since this is kind of the inaugural podcast we're gonna keep it uh somewhat concise and i guess give an introduction to us uh how we got into gaming and lore and why we decided to do the podcast and then we've got a couple other fun things we're gonna do today or at least one at least one no of one right yes this is a this is an exploratory adventure here so we'll see what comes out of it absolutely uh so i suppose for a little bit of background uh my name is lee i am 20 years old i work in manufacturing and i am about to take a really big leap and move overseas and teach english uh and gabriel is a very close friend of mine and we wanted something to do together that both of us would make time for uh, and actually enjoy. So more so of a way to keep in contact than a message we need to spread to the masses or anything like that. Right. We tend to get stuck in into some very interesting conversations about very nerdy topics and it came up one day that some of them what? need to be recorded. Yeah, no kidding. Like, uh, I think the I think the conversation that sparked that point was uh, we were discussing the morality of Halo, if I remember correctly. <laughs> like, what was it right to wipe out to try to wipe out the flood, considering it was a sentient species? Yes, I do remember this now, man. <laughs> you see so that that just goes to show you the kind of crazy things we talk about yeah this is the kind of this is the kind of conversation that we get stuck in i mean i don't think that's a problem unless you do <laughs> oh no you you've known me long enough you know that that's pretty much my my goalpost for any nerdy conversation that i start into how can we get this into philosophy no kidding <laughs> uh all right so i i suppose we should give the 
maybe maybe one listener i bet my mom will listen to this uh your mom might although i think your dad is more likely to that's true yeah um so gabriel what got you into gaming uh and i suppose give a little bit of an introduction to yourself as well yeah uh i'm gabriel i'm 22 years old i'm currently a full-time student in it specializing in application and database development uh and i'm a bit further out and a bit more vague on this sort of big step compared to the one that lee's about to take I might be on the same trajectory, but it will be a few years down the road. As far as getting into gaming is concerned, it's a thing that I sort of grew up around. My dad was always a big gamer, and truth be told, it did cause a bit of tension in the household at times. Uh, So I grew up seeing sort of the sort of the extremes of the spectrum in a way uh it definitely formed my opinions on a lot of it but i also saw a lot of the strengths of video games and came to enjoy a lot of their qualities and that's never really died away i still have enormous respect and enormous enjoyment for a great many games uh, and I love to talk about them and explain why. <laughs> no kidding. I, what, what is our longest conversation that we have had about any particular game? Uh, this feels like a leading question. It was not meant to be a leading question, but I can see how you would understand it as a leading question. I just realized I never told the listener how I got into games, so I have something to talk about when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Please, go ahead. Okay. Uh, boy. So I have had a very touch-and-go relationship with video games. I grew up around a Nintendo 64, and that was about it. Uh, my dad enjoyed video games kind of on and off, but overall he... I guess he saw them as a waste of time um, and treated them as such. So I really didn't start gaming until I was probably 10 or 11. uh, And I got access to my first laptop. I was homeschooled. So I started out with a whole bunch of Minecraft, uh, as a lot of gamers do. And from there, I went into more FPS-based games, uh, like Team Fortress 2, and Quake, and then I realized the computer wasn't good enough to run Quake, (laughs) Uh, and unfortunately, being in the tweens, I made some rather poor decisions with video games. Same. Uh, Yeah, no kidding. So... When I say t- the relationship has been touch and go, it's not that I stopped liking games. It's that I hurt relationships due to games, and I didn't want to do that. So there was a period of about two years where I really didn't play any video games. Uh, much more recently, I have gotten back into it probably over the last three or so years. Uh, I now own 
a decent gaming laptop and an Xbox, uh, and I enjoy story-based games more than anything else, really. Uh, so Fallout, Skyrim, The Outer Worlds are three examples of good games I have played recently. Oh boy. Uh, even, even Overwatch has a very, very rich lore scene. So if the game has a story to tell, I am most definitely game. Hmm. You know this... Oh, that was a pun. Yes, I'm sure that was intended. <laughs> that was not intended. This almost sounds like a topic that we might want to touch on one day. Because this is a very relevant topic. Relationships that have been harmed through gaming? Or... Elaborate. Maybe moderation. Ah. That that is a good topic. The how to and how to allow yourself to enjoy video games without abusing them or being enslaved by them. Because the consequences yeah. are pretty strict. Yeah, no kidding. Uh mine the the peak evidence of mine was I think no video games for a year like no electronics for almost a year uh, and then yeah yeah uh, similar case for me uh, I got into this this had to be preteens early teens somewhere around there and it became the pretty much the only thing I would talk about I would talk about the next time I was gonna play a video game. I would talk about the things that I did in video games. I would talk about the things I, you know, thought about video games. That was the only space that my mind lived in. And understandably, my parents got kind of sick of that because that's not the only space that a child's imagination should live in. Uh, and they saw the same thing coming up in my sister as well so they cut us off they said that i mean they said this is practically going to have the same effect as a grounding but this is not a grounding we are cutting you off because we see this as being very unhealthy and um i want to say i went a little over two years without playing a game and most of that under most of that time it was imposed by my parents but towards the end of that they laxed that restriction and I just sort of kept it up because I had gone at this point two years I had withdrawn basically <laughs> mm -hmm. I had gone a couple years and didn't have much interest in falling back into the same pit it was definitely a slow reintroduction. Yeah, that makes sense. And, I mean, that's that's with anything that you can enjoy in life. You know, whether that's uh, having a drink or smoking a cigar or... Right. I, I'm running out of options. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's just overuse. It's, um, it, it's an issue of priorities. Mm -hmm. yeah and I, I don't know 
to to the listener out there, uh, it should be made clear that both both Gabriel and I are practicing Christians, um, and that that's going to shape a lot of our viewpoints on how we discuss topics. And so, for to the listener who might be horrified that both of us got grounded for, I mean, years in Gabriel's case and a year in mine, uh, and saying that's overkill or your parents are super strict. At the time, I I think we could both agree that we thought that as well, and then over time we realized that while we may not have agreed with the method, the outcome was, the outcome justified it. Oh yeah, I would be, I, I fully recognize now that I would be an absolute disaster of a person without my parents. No kidding. Guiding me and restricting me in some of those things. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's funny. I I keep getting called an old man, um, because I wear a flat cap. I drive a '90s Buick, and I have a lot of problem. I have a lot of problems with people in my generation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if that makes me an old man, well, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, to add on to what Lee has just said, oftentimes, because I understand that there are so many different people with so many different viewpoints between them, I I will try to take the time to explain my moral outlook when it pertains to a moral question. I, I will try to go into that detail rather than assuming just so that I can communicate more clearly what my what my perspective is and why I am thinking the way I'm thinking. Absolutely. And it's also really important that we look at different viewpoints uh, from, from that viewpoint, rather. Uh, because if you don't understand what you are disagreeing with, then why are you disagreeing with it? Exactly. Like, uh, I, both you and I are very... We, we both believe in the capitalist system. I don't know about you. I have read the Communist Manifesto several times because I wanted to understand what I was fighting against. Right. I have not picked up that particular uh, novel. I have read a few other sort of ideological Bibles you know yeah i don't really know how else to describe that but uh yeah it's definitely it's definitely something i feel that we should intentionally study because i want to be intentional about my ideology and intentional about my philosophy and i expect a lot of this podcast to turn philosophical so i'm glad that we are laying this this sort of groundwork that we can come back to later Absolutely. Um, hmm. Ifs, ands, buts, and other filler words. <laughs> so if if the listener hasn't figured this out yet, uh, Gabriel is the brains, I am the brawn. Um, I, I often liken our relationship to uh, Dr. Frankenstein and Igor. <laughs> Much to Gabriel's bemusement, because... I don't think he agrees with me. 
<laughs> I mean, you could maybe chalk that up to the fact that I have never read the entirety of Dr. Frankenstein's monster. That's fair. I ended up reading it for school at some point. Man, I just had a really epic voice crack. <laughs> like I I'm I'm uh, I am 20. When is this going to end? It's late at it's late at night. Your vocal cords are all relaxed. It's it's just the mood. That's fair. We are recording this at like 1 in the morning. Oh yeah. 1:30 right <clears throat> now, surely. Oh yeah. You bet you know. <laughs> We also thought it might be interesting just to give a quick note on how we actually met, because we are from very different places. And very different backgrounds. And very different backgrounds, yes. Uh, I am a born and raised native of Oklahoma. I might not have been conceived in this state, but I was definitely born in this state. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) And... I have never actually lived in any other state. For most of my life, I lived in the uh, metropolitan area of Oklahoma City. But a few years ago, my family and I actually moved up north about 30 minutes onto a functioning cattle ranch. So now we have rural roads, rural internet. uh, We have beautifully clear, starry skies. We have herds of cattle, and even a herd of buffalo literally right across the street. I am jealous of the buffalo. It was a really big shift, but I am so glad because we lived in a rather seedy area of town before, and I'm not a town person generally. Uh, This living out here, even with the challenges that it has presented, living out here has been phenomenal. Uh, introvert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, that's just me saying that I am introverting really hard out here. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, oh, boy. So my story is, I guess, both similar and not similar. Uh, so I was born in the southwest corner of Minnesota. Uh, and you can hear that when I say Minnesota, uh, <laughs> much to every Southerner's uh, amusement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent the majority of my life in a little town of about 2,100. Uh, I grew up a block away from my mother's parents, so having grandma and grandpa close was really cool. I ended up moving to Oklahoma due to a a sudden change in employment uh, from my dad and we moved down here almost four years ago now Uh, ended up living in a trailer for a couple of months while we looked for a house and then ended up moving uh, into the same general vicinity as Gabriel uh we are in town, so there's a little bit of difference between us, but we are in the same county. Uh, you're living so that. I, you're living that small town life. 
Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I was living that small town life. Uh, this this town has been much larger. Uh, I grew up an hour and a half away from the nearest Walmart. Okay, that can you even call that small town life? That's like middle of nowhere life. I mean, it was truly the middle of nowhere. Like it was an event to see a shoot like the biggest event in town was the uh yearly festival we did and that's because it kept setting uh, state records for attendance um okay so i retract my earlier statement you were you're now living that big city life yes <laughs> except by almost the entirety of the world's standards this is still a very small town right I'm okay with that. Uh, the town I'm moving to, I believe, has just under a million people. So, yeah. Oh man, and that can be called a town. Uh. Well, comparatively. Oh. Yeah. My inner introvert is really coming out since it's one thirty in the morning, and that is just. It's it's screaming against that. And my extrovert is going, Woohoo <laughs> <laughs> Uh So as to how the two of us became friends, that's really interesting because we have very few similar likes, uh, similarities and things we enjoy other than more so the style of things we enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a few years back, we both volunteered on the tech team at our local church. And so we became workplace acquaintances there for a little while uh, and yep, yep. built a friendship out of that. And I was the camera guy. Gabriel fixed the stuff. <laughs> yes, that is often how that played out uh, and then you know life shifted around and things changed and we kept hanging out and our families kept getting intertwined and we kept you know, spending time doing stuff and well here we are <laughs> <laughs> no kidding is that how it happened? Yeah. Are you sure? No. Me neither. It just it it just happened. You know? Yeah. And it's the oddest thing because we we keep getting mistaken for brothers because I I mean we we carpooled a we we actually both attend a different church than the one we initially became friends at and since we carpool every week it took the longest time for the congregation to figure out, oh, those two aren't brothers. <laughs> right. Which is odd because you and I look nothing alike. Yeah, no, we are pretty wildly different uh, for brothers. Yeah. Like, we're about the same height, and we have similar hair color. That's that's about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm six foot... 
just uh, uh like 220 pounds and you are like 511 and well you don't cast a shadow <laughs> right i just I, I slip between the sunbeams uh yeah yeah speaking of uh speaking of mistaken familial relationships i got mistaken for jack's dad today again oh again yes <laughs> it's been many years since that's happened since he is now you know, approaching 10 years old and i'm mm-hmm. 22 i mean let's be honest we've seen weirder this is oklahoma <laughs> okay that is true but man it caught me off guard a little bit yeah no kidding <laughs> Uh, hey, at least you didn't get mistaken for your mother's boyfriend. No, that's totally happened. Many, many times. Even if, back when Jack was born, I would occasionally get mistaken for the father when my mother was standing there holding Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Fun times terrifying mm-hmm. oh boy we, we, we both shake our head at Oklahoma but I don't know about you but I like it here I like it here yeah it's exciting uh, the, the weather's tolerable <laughs> no that's what I was labeling exciting ah you mean the tornadoes every five minutes yes the you know either that or the hailstorms right the tornado season the hailstorms the lethal heat the bonus tornado season the ice storms the litany of poisonous creatures yes the litany of poisonous creatures the earthquakes soon we'll get volcanoes i'm sure rapid possums yep It's at this moment that I'm realizing I need a push to mute button. Oh? Yeah. I can't hear anything. Basically, we're doing it live. I was checking to see if there's a push to mute button. Give me a second. Ah. I got a cough. Editing. Cool. Cool. You have now coughed. Awesome. I will, of course, edit that out. Unless I don't. Yeah. Why bother? (laughs) This is great content we're making, maybe. Sleep-deprived college-age student conversation at who knows when in the morning. Right. Really good stuff. I just realized my Minnesotan accent has been hanging out this entire episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's going to weird people out when I switch back to the Southern Drawl next episode. That's a good plan. Then can you do, like full-on ukrainian accent but spoken english in the third episode that should not be a problem my brother awesome banana indeed all right um so since that 10 minute ramble is over uh <laughs> 
how about we introduce them to game of the week uh okay so because we both have this interest in games and their qualities uh, we decided it might be interesting to do a weekly segment uh, that we're just calling game of the week we're gonna pass it back and forth i have the first week and what i'm hoping to do here in this segment is just give some some objective facts about a game that i particularly enjoy and would like to talk about and then get a bit more personal into why i love it so much and what i think it makes it so great uh if there are there are, you know, no game is perfect. There are always going to be negative things, and if there are negative things that need to be brought up, I want to bring them up. But I'm more interested in highlighting the great things about this game rather than um, trying to pay it the service of a balanced opinion. <laughs> this is, it's less so of a game review and more so of a game spotlight exactly that's what i'm going for i'm not a reviewer i'm a spotlighter and the game that i want to talk about today i decided i would just start right in with my favorite game of all time and that is homeworld an rts from 1999 woohoo it's as old as me yes there we go it's almost as old as me uh Homeworld is wait, wait 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 when when it was when was it released in ninety nine Oh good question was it a spring re- was it a spring release or was it a fall release It was a spring release Oh sweet it is it it is probably within weeks of me then Okay off the top of my head it came out in May April Ah all right then you yep just beat it out <clears throat> just barely uh, Yep yep Uh Homeworld is really special in the RTS genre because it manages to excel in the technical aspect and the artistic aspect and it pulls them together quite well usually in an RTS game you have a heavy focus on technical and a a much lighter focus on artistic or you have a really you know interesting artistic aspect but it's not necessarily married to the technical aspect in a meaningful way. It it just exists as eye candy or experience or, you know, some level of polish to make it look more enjoyable while you play it. But it doesn't have a meaningful connection to the technical aspect. Uh, Homeworld was made by Relic, a studio that would later become known for the Warhammer 40k Dawn of War series and the Company of Heroes series, both uh, well-beloved RTS series, and they are currently being contracted by Microsoft to develop Age of Empires 4, which is a massive contract for them, because the Age of Empires series has so much money behind it at this point. (laughs) But... Like I said, all of those came later. This was Relic's first game. Uh, And man, they knocked it out of the park with this one. This one has to be the thing that set them on their success trajectory because they've never really had a game that properly tanked, as far as I know. 
they never had a very big catalog, but every catalog has its own dedicated fan base. Uh, Homeworld has several discrete strong points that are worth hitting. Uh, it has, for the time, a very innovative full 3D models and full 3D gameplay. Models were just starting to be worked in at this point in 1999, and gameplay was almost unheard of. But Homeworld, being a real-time strategy game set in space, realized that in space you have movement in all six directions, and they could actually take advantage of this so that the game could be played in all six directions rather than just 3D models moving on some sort of, you know, artificial 2D plane. Uh, another strong point that has been consistently lauded throughout the years is the cohesive design of Homeworld's atmosphere. The music, the sound engine, and the graphics. The graphics were intentionally designed to maximize the limitations of PC hardware in 1999, because PC hardware in 1999 wasn't great. So the spaceship models had to be fairly low poly, the textures had to be fairly low resolution, but the, the designers paid extra careful attention to how those textures and models went together to make it so that the sum was greater than the parts. You can't really notice in a given screenshot the super low poly models that are being used unless you are really closely inspecting them. And then the sound engine that I mentioned, the sound engine they developed has dozens of channels going in to simulate sounds from all the different units on the battlefield. And it applies a different distance modifier and different uh, speed and frequency modifiers to all of those. And then it figures out how to layer them together so that the entire scene that's visible to you has its own sound. It has depth of sound rather than canned looping sounds that are being played, you know, regardless of context. And then the music, they put a lot of effort into the music to make the atmosphere of the game feel more um, connected to human experience. They actually, it feels a little bit cliche now, but they chose to go with an Arabian sort of caravan out in the desert feel for a lot of the soundtrack because they wanted to convey that same loneliness of space as you might have if you were a lone caravan out in the Arabian desert. And of course that's a thing that's been reused by science fiction a lot at this point, but this was 1999. This came before that was considered cliche. This was one of the this was one of the things that started the cliche. But all of those strengths, none of those strengths are my personal favorite. My personal favorite has to be the story of this game. Uh, Homeworld's heart is in its story, its single-player campaign. The, the story of the campaign is set up by a 115-page physical booklet called the Historical and Technical Briefing. Uh, the it was shipped 
in the game box that you would pick up off the shelf sort of thing that was kind of common to that era you would have these big manuals full of fluff text and you know interesting artwork and ways to creatively present how to play the game but some companies put a lot more effort into it than others <laughs> uh, the the briefing as i'm gonna continue to call it because the other way is a bit lengthy the briefing is exactly what it purports to be it is a briefing for the player on how to play the game but it is also a briefing that exists within the fiction itself it is a in universe it is a briefing about a mission of great importance and grand scope that the the game is building up to uh, the briefing contains an enormous amount of information about the universe of the game but it's a lot more nuanced than just uh, an info dump. Uh, the way that the briefing actually says things is just as important as what things are being said because it isn't written by an omniscient observer. It's written by a person from within the very culture they are writing about. So it's written by a limited perspective that has its own opinions on which factual information to present. Whoever the author of the, brief, of the briefing is, they've been shaped by their culture. What starts out as a purely technical document contains hints of oral legend that start to slip out as you go through, and this subtle underlying sense of destiny, which is an idea that had been central to the culture throughout its history, and you learn that as you read further into the briefing. And then you can go back and start to connect the dots where you see these elements of this culture actually leaking out into the briefing before they've even been introduced. The history itself is a fairly easy one to understand in a sympathetic sort of way, not like a factual way. Uh, it's It tells the story of a very religious people. Um, they're super devoted, but they are fractured by differing opinions on religion. Uh, they live on a dying planet orbiting a dying star. Survival is almost impossible, and their struggle for survival against the planet often breeds a struggle for survival against each other. Uh, so it's a long, bloody history of wars and uh, tension and destruction and uh, suffering, basically. So much so that the culture begins to become oriented around that suffering that actually becomes an element of their religion. And that element ends up becoming very, very central to the doctrines of the, of the culture. It spawns a massive war that rages on for, I can't remember, I want to say two or three hundred years. Uh, it pulls everyone in. People are slaughtered wholesale. The planet, the already tenuous existence on the planet is put into immense jeopardy. Um, and all parties are exhausted with no clear winner. 
But then out of that, something happens. Some new dynamic leader comes to power and begins to unite people, not to one camp or the other, but simply to put an end to this sort of conflict because it is destroying everything and it's not... It, there's no resolution in sight except the death of the entire civilization. And for the most part, the people rally behind this, but a few refuse to, and they are ejected from the society. Uh, things go on for quite some time after that. The, the people begin to slowly shift away from their religion, their religious background. They get, um, it's almost as if they are scarred by the turmoil that it has caused in the past and they begin to forget it. But those people who were ejected continue to exist on the fringes and they come back for a final confrontation, a very dramatic sort of final confrontation, uh, out of nowhere, you know, come in and wipe everyone out. It's actually very similar, in hindsight, it's very similar to the sudden appearance of the First Order in the most recent Star Wars movies. This fringe group that has become even more zealous and dogmatic out on the fringes and then coming in and, you know, kicking in doors and taking names. Uh, and all of this story builds up to this final conflict, uh, and this final conflict ends suddenly with a discovery that these people were never supposed to be on this planet in the first place. They were never supposed to live on this desert world of sorrow and suffering. This was not their homeworld. Their homeworld was half a galaxy away. They had no knowledge of how they got here, when they got here, or why they got here, but they knew that they wanted to return to their homeworld. At this point, the civilization is just about at our current modern-day tech level, and suddenly the bloody conflicts of the past millennium have stopped. The civilization is suddenly united by this massive realization, and they spend the next hundred years working toward this mission to build a colony ship, to send it out, to find the homeworld, to get as many people as they can off of this clearly doomed planet that they have destroyed and to try to start something new in the only other place that they know exists, but the place that they feel they belong. And then the campaign starts, and the game capitalizes on that moment, that sudden hope in best way that it possibly could have. Even now, like 15 years ago I first played this game, and even now Homeworld remains the only video game to bring tears to my eyes, uh, which it's done on more than one occasion. Like I fully know the story at this point, and I can still go play through it, and that moment can still make me a bit misty-eyed. Homeworld got me to care about 
my people. It got me to care about my units in an organic way that I didn't have to artificially sustain. I tend to play strategy games in a very role-playing sort of approach, and I try to I try to act as if I care about the the units that I'm controlling, because more often than not, they're supposed to be people. But in this one, I didn't have to try. In this one, I just naturally cared. Back when I played it on disc, there was a little-known tool included which tracked your unit casualties throughout the campaign, and I used to check that tracker often and try to understand as I was going through the campaign just how many of my people had given their lives in the fight. Uh, I felt responsible for them in a way. When I finally beat the game, it didn't give me the sensation that would normally come with beating a hard video game. It gave me a relief, like I had fulfilled my duty or something. <laughs> and as silly as that is, that is something that I can only attribute to the game's commitment to its story and the practical design choices that supported that story, like uh, the idea of a persistent fleet. From mission to mission, what you have is what you have. You are not ever given anything or, or uh, nothing is ever given to you or taken from you off screen. So you start that mission one, whatever you finish mission one with is what you start mission two with. The same ships, the same resources, the same everything. Uh, which means you really feel the pain of your losses. If you invest half of your entire account into a single destroyer and that thing travels with you for three missions and then you watch it blow up, uh, you're going to feel that. And so you had this natural sort of desire to protect your units and that protectiveness was um, encouraged by the story so that it became less a strategic protectiveness and more a, uh, a moral protectiveness. And then they implemented literally hundreds of lines of comm chatter from the different units so you could hear what was supposed to be the people in all of the ships. Uh, you could hear them coolly carrying out their orders, you could hear them panicking as things were going wrong, or you could hear them celebrating their little victories, and none of it meant anything to you. Really advanced players could monitor the comm chatter and really pick up on what was going on, but for the most part it was just this background cacophony of noise that added an urgency to every combat that you fought. Uh, and then the lonely music, which I've already touched on, that lonely music also sort of really built up the quiet moments of that game. It it made you feel like a small band of people working together. It made you feel like this, this little ragtag group of rebels. <laughs> and that sort of feeling, being able to call that sort of feeling out is a great achievement for any game. But the fact that it's an RTS notorious for cheesy, unengaging stories that really exist to be no more than, you know, like a flavorful wrapping for the next objective point, uh, makes Relic's achievement even greater. They managed to make an RTS game which showed the cost of war. It, it didn't ever make you feel like you were powerful enough to be guaranteed victory, and it forced you to balance your short-term and long-term decisions 
against a literal galaxy of unknowns. Sadly, I think this might be the reason why the game faded into obscurity as well, because people simply don't play the RTS genre for the story. That's not the that's not the appealing mechanic for that genre. I know of many homeworld players who've never even fired up the single-player campaign because the RTS genre exists for them as something that's exclusively multiplayer or AI skirmish. But the game did go on to spawn a series. Uh, a spin-off game came out in 2000, a proper sequel in 2003, and both of those games were just as committed to the story as the first, but after that there was nothing for a very, very long time. No new titles, no expansions, no news. The game's community largely resided on a couple forums back then, and it slowly dwindled for years. Uh, what had made the games good did not necessarily make them popular, and they did not have a lot of staying power. Many fans came to believe that the series was dead for a long time. Uh, but then things very suddenly changed. In 2015, Gearbox released a beautifully remastered and updated version of Homeworld 1 and 2, and printed a limited run of coffee table books full of concept art, which would eventually be worth over $1,000 on the second-hand market. Uh, a year after that, Blackbird Interactive, a new studio composed largely of team members from the original Homeworld games, made their debut with a prequel game titled Homeworld Deserts of Karak. Then, just this year, in 2019, Gearbox announced they were bankrolling Blackbird to develop Homeworld 3. And people went crazy. They accepted crowdfunding contributions to the game's budget for 30 days after the announcement, and in those 30 days, they raised $1.5 million uh, just to go on top, just to supplement the already fulfilled budget that Gearbox was giving the game. Uh, and that extra money, they've decided, will go toward the collector's edition and a long-awaited reprint of the coffee table art book, which uh, I was really sad that I never actually bothered to pick it up the first time because I knew there was no way I was ever going to get my hands on that, but now I'm going to, and I'm very excited. <laughs> Homeworld may never be unseated as my most beloved game of all time. Uh, I might not have... It might not have the most playtime of all the games in my library. Uh, I might one day find a game that fulfills that same niche, but Homeworld, if I had to ditch gaming for the rest of my life, or if I had to write off all games but one as meaningless entertainment, that one that I picked would be Homeworld, because that one of all of them feels most like an art rather than just an entertainment. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I was joking beforehand with, with Gabriel while we were doing audio setup, and holy cow, hang on. Cough, cough. <sighs> okay, that's better. You may want to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good in a fun sound effect. <laughs> oh, like... <whistles> yes. Okay. Anywho. Uh, so, you and I were talking before the show about Game of the Week, and I straight up asked you, hey, are you going to high bar me 
and make my game of the week segment that's probably going to be like three minutes long next week feel extremely inadequate and you said what no and i'm like oh he's talking about homeworld crap it's no i gotta do research it's my thing (laughs) for me to call something my favorite thing i have to have a good reason that i can well communicate i know but how am i supposed to follow that (laughs) well maybe your favorite is you know, your favorite for something totally different. Or maybe you're just not as wordy of a person when it comes to something like that. I mean, that's fair. We can come up with a number of excuses so that you don't have to do... Because, uh... I mean, what did I do? That had to be getting 10, maybe even pushing 12 minutes. You were at 15 minutes and 37 seconds. Oh, my goodness. I timed you just to be sure. Okay. Good to know. Yeah, that was that was a bit longer than I was planning to go. <laughs> nah, no problem. Um, no, I, I truly appreciate your perspective on the the heart that goes into gaming, and it as much as I'm giving you some crap about going long and showing me up and that sort of thing, I I absolutely love listening to you talk about games. It's really an interesting concept. It's an interesting topic to talk about. There's a lot of uh, a lot of different angles, a lot of points that can be made. Yeah. Like how you are more wordy than I am. Yes, like that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, um, I'm not exactly sure how to follow that. No, I have no idea. I, I have, I have revealed my her. one Let's trick. Let's get at her. What? Producing unfollowable soliloquies? <laughs> no. My one trick was this week's game of the week. I don't have any ah. other tricks prepared. Well, you have two weeks. I know, and I don't worry. I will come up with another one. That does not surprise me in the slightest. Next week, I, actually I might have... actually do a more anecdotal approach. Ooh. Hey, my turn next week. Next week, that's mine. <laughs> oh. Well, this is quality content that we're producing right here. Yes, this is sort of a behind-the-scenes look on how to do content. <laughs> <laughs> what, argue randomly in front of the listeners? All one of them? Yes. This is this is uncut. This is so you can see the you can see the content in process. Well pitter patter then. hmm I discovered Letter Kenny and it makes Gabriel nervous because he doesn't know how to respond. Right. I have no no clue how to follow up there. All I can do you is just betcha. Like, freeze my smile and nod. Nod to a microphone? I said I have no idea how to respond, right? <laughs> eh. Typical.
Okay, well, I have yep. done I I've done my piece. Do you have anywhere else you'd like to go? Uh I think we have pretty much talked ourselves dry for the evening. Okay. Yep. I we cover the topics we discussed and and then some. Yeah. Um the possum talk segment was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that might be just sort of a seasonal thing. We might not want to do that every week. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Here's the animals that we killed this week. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Good entertainment. Oh yeah. I mean it worked it worked it worked for a uh, duck commander. Oh man, but we don't have that kind of I don't know what you call it redneckery yeah we don't have that whatever it is it's not ours that's fair also I can't grow a beard I cannot grow a beard like that but if you saw me right now oh I'm shaggy and I am eternally jealous we've already established this Getting over a sickness is the best excuse for not shaving. It is. It was no shave November. It was. Yeah. That would have been a probably better excuse. Right. Oh, well. Always next year. Oh, yeah. Or you could just do what my dad did and say... I'm not going to shave until my next bike race and then shave two days later because he got itchy. Well, that is what I did. I actually, in all honesty, I did try No Shave November and made it eight days because itchiness. Yeah. Alrighty then. I suppose both of us better hit the hay because I know you got classes in the morning and I finally bought the totes to pack up my stuff, so... Ah. Yeah. yeah. Well, then I guess we've got... I guess we can call this one a wrap. Alrighty. Uh, we don't really have any social media set up. Um, because, as far as I know, we're not doing this for money. Uh, so, if that changes, you can probably find us on, well, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, under construct, under uh, construct Additional Pylons. And... You can email us if you have questions, comments, concerns, or horrible ideas. Uh, we are constructeditionalpylons at gmail.com. Oh, there is one thing I wanted to discuss. Go ahead. How in the world was Construct Additional Pylons not taken as a podcast name? Like, I did a good 15 minutes of digging on, I want to say, six or seven different platforms. 